from calm to chaos. Man, is there anybody here that doesn't know what that feels like? If you don't know, then you haven't lived long enough. Just live a little longer and your life is going to go from calm to chaos. If your, ha if your life has gone from calm to chaos and everything's okay, just hang on because it's going to go calm to chaos again. You know, life, and God understood that when he created life, life's just like the weather. There are times when life is calm and sunny and peaceful and there are just times when life just rages like a storm. The question is, since we know that's coming, what do we do? You know, what do we do? God had a plan for us. He did some work and preparation so that we could act properly in chaos. You know, part of the problem with chaos is that when my life becomes chaotic, God understood I'm going to start becoming chaotic. And if I don't have a plan and I'm relying on my own resources and thinking, probably some really bad stuff's going to happen. You know, one thing I need to realize when I go into chaos is there's something in more danger than the chaos itself. That's my soul. i got to realize that when life falls apart, there's a great deal of temptation and there's a great deal of weakness on my part to deal with the problems. And it's very easy for me to do things that put my soul in jeopardy. And God says, you know what? i got a plan for you. So when your life goes chaotic and your mind starts spinning, you know exactly where to start. And that's what this lesson is about this morning. Uh, from calm to chaos. What do we do? Or more importantly, what, do we, what does God expect us to do? We're going to read a couple passages and we're going to draw some conclusions. First of all, the passage was read this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, we'll pick up reading, uh, let's see. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In this passage, we have three things talked about. Christ's sacrifice, his priesthood, and then his humanity. I can't do justice to all three of those subjects this morning, but one I think that we don't talk about a lot is Christ's humanity. And I want to focus on his humanity. And it says that he is able to help me because of his humanity. He's, help, help, he's able to help me when I'm tempted. When chaos hits, there's a myriad of temptations contained in that chaos toward me. I need to understand that. And the answer for the temptation is not with this, and it's not with this. It's with Jesus. That's where I have to go. What kind of temptations are in chaos? I have a temptation to get angry. I have a temptation to get bitter. I have a temptation to take control. I have a temptation to protect and defend. I have a temptation to give up. 
I have a temptation to quit. Those things tempt me. I need to understand that when chaos hits, there should be danger signs going off in my head. There's a mountain of temptation. Some people even fall so far into temptation, they blame God, they blame God for the chaos. Temptation everywhere. Now, a closely related passage in Hebrews is right over in chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Too quick. 14 through 16. Let's read that. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Notice it ends with the idea of being needy. When chaos hits, temptation is everywhere, and I'm needy. That's part of my problem. I got all this problem I can't control. I'm powerless against it, and I have all these needs. How am I going to get them met? The answer is Jesus. Now look, I want, you, I want to put these two passages together and I want you to notice something that tells us something about Jesus. First of all, he was made like me in every way. What does that mean? He was made like me in every way. Doesn't mean he was six foot tall with gray hair and blue eyes, right? But he became fully a man. That means he, the creator, had to become the created. And he did that for a reason. He was in his mother's room for nine months just like me. He had to be nursed by his mom and have his diaper changed just like me. He had to go through puberty just like me and all the trouble that that can cause, you know? He understood what it was like to wake up in the morning with a full day's work ahead of him and he felt like staying in bed and sleeping. He knew what it was like to walk till his feet were tired and he had blisters. He knew what it was like to work sun up and sun down and have calluses and blisters on his hands. He knew what it was like to be loved and he knew what it was like to be hated. He knew what it was like to have the joy of a loving father and mother and brothers and sisters. He also knew the frustration of having a loving mother and father and brothers and sisters. He knew what it was like to be alone. And what he wanted around him was friends and family. He knew what it was like to have friends and family around him. What he really wanted was to be alone. He knew what it was like to be human. He knew what it was like to be me. He knew what it was like to be you. In every way. Consider this. As we look at his human life on earth, the creator becoming the created, uh,
He needed the word of God just like me to survive daily. Isn't that amazing? The creator become the created and he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, like me, had to study the scripture. He had to meditate on the scripture. He had to act on the scripture to get through this life. Also, we know he was led by the spirit. Did you know that? Look in scripture. When he went into the wilderness, it said Jesus, full of the spirit, was led by the spirit into the wilderness. It said Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, went into the temple. God was functioning Uh, Jesus was functioning on this earth, being led, guided, and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. It says, on his last conversation with the apostles in Acts chapter 1, it said, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, gave final instructions to the apostles whom he has chosen. How did he do that? By the Holy Spirit. Like me. He needed the Holy Spirit. And the other thing he needed was he needed the help of God. Why do you think he spent so much time praying? He needed God's help. So, because he was tempted in every respect just like me. What does that mean? Does that mean that all the temptations I feel he had? Mine are different than yours. Yours are different than mine. But they're all the same in this one respect. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus was attacked in that way. Listen, Satan walks about as a roaring lion seeking him he may devour. Do you think he was after Christ? He's after me. He was after Christ Christ twice as hard. And he knew how to... How to tempt this fleshly vessel. And since Jesus was wearing one, he went after him. Probably harder than he goes after me. Yet Jesus was able to do it without sin. But understand this. In his temptation, he still suffered. It says right there in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 4. In verse 15, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Uh, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may serve mercy and grace in time of need. I, I missed that part. That's chapter 2, I think. Anyway, it said because of the things that he suffered. He suffered because of temptation. So it wasn't a joy ride. It wasn't like water going off the duck's back. Even though he was God, he was fully man. It caused him to suffer. And he needed help. That's why God was there. In fact, in the, in, the, in the garden before he was crucified, you remember he prayed to God and God sent an angel to strengthen him. This was not easy for Jesus. Notice, he sympathizes with my weakness. Why? Because he felt that pull. You know, he gives me mercy and grace because of my weaknesses, not in spite of them. I used to think that. You'll notice the motivation for Christ to help me is that I'm weak. I used to think that he helped me in spite of my weaknesses. My weaknesses is what motivates him. 
Not contained in this passage, but closely in Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to notice something. Hebrews chapter 2, just turn back to one, uh, verse 11. Something I want you to notice. It's in the same, uh, same chapter. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Do you know that Jesus is not ashamed of you? We're weak. He knows that. That's why he sends us mercy and grace. And he's not ashamed. Man, when I sin, I'm ashamed of myself. I should be. It's healthy. It makes me repent. But, it, but I need to understand that Jesus is not ashamed of me. If I'm a child of God, he is not ashamed to be called my brother. When you're in the midst of chaos, you need to understand that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Not kind of like, not sort of like, but exactly how you feel. He knows what it's like. You know, God had this figured out long before man does. You know, we have all kinds of groups now to help people out that are in chaos. Right? we got bereavement groups. So if you lost a loved one, there's actually a place you can go to talk to other people that have lost a loved one. Because there's something comforting to reaching out for help for somebody you know has already been through what you've been through. Why? Because when I'm stuck in chaos, I can't even explain how I feel. I feel what I can't even explain it. But I know if you've been through it, I don't have to. I just know you can sympathize with me. God sympathizes with us. That means he feels our pain. Alcoholics have Alcoholics Anonymous. N.A. for Narcotics Anonymous. They have Al-Anon for family members that got to deal with an alcoholic. Who's there? Somebody that's already been through. God knew that. He said, you know what? I walked this earth like a man, and Father, it is hard. And my children are weak, and if we don't do something, they're going to get slaughtered. We need to do something, and that's what God did. He created this man, Jesus, like me, so that I could go to him in time of trouble and know that he knows exactly exactly how I feel. Now, to prove this a little farther, we're going to spend 24 hours in, in, in the footsteps of Jesus. That day, uh, you might call the second worst day in Christ's life. It's the only day that I can see that is recorded in all four Gospels except for the crucifixion. Not even Christ's birth was recorded in all four Gospels. John doesn't talk about his birth. But this one particular day had such great importance uh, that it's recorded in its entirety by the compilation of all four Gospels. Now I want to tell you, I'm going to do a disclaimer. This part of the lesson here is, is plagiarized. I actually heard a preacher preach about this day some 30-something years ago on a cassette. And, and I don't know his name, and I wish I did. I'd give him credit. Uh, but you know, there's not too much original with me. But ultimately, it all comes from God's word. So I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. But 
24 hours in the life of Jesus. Now, I've taken the time to put these four chapters together, create an entire day, and we're not going to flip around a lot, but I'm just going to go through the day, and we're going to see as this day transpires how God might really understand uh, calm to chaos. The day begins like this. Jesus is actually standing by the Sea of Galilee all by himself. Early in the morning. Not sure what he was thinking. I know what I think when I stand by a sea in the early in the morning. You know, usually the morning times is calm and it's beautiful and it's tranquil. Perhaps that's what he was doing. Maybe he was enjoying the peace and serenity, the alone time. Maybe he was thinking about... Uh, the family he left behind. You know, he started his missionary journey. He had, it hadn't been too long since he left his family. He spent 30 years living with a mama that loved him and brothers and sisters. Uh, not that necessarily he wanted to go back, but I know when I'm away from home for whatever reason, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about my family. Maybe he was doing that. Maybe he was thinking about his apostles. You know, it was just previous to that. Jesus had sent the apostles on their first missionary journey. You remember the story where they sent him out by twos? And he empowered them to heal. And he empowered them to cast out demons. And he told them, you go into a town. If they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet. That's what the apostles are doing at this very moment. Maybe he was thinking about that. And then his calm got shattered. Some disciples came and said, Jesus, they killed John. John the Baptist is dead. We had to bury him. <clears throat> what do you think Jesus was thinking when he heard that news? What do you think the humanity of Jesus thought? First of all, we know. We know from many passages that Jesus was a very compassionate human being. Probably the most compassionate, sympathetic person ever walked the face of the earth. And this fellow prophet, this family member, and we don't know exactly how Mary and Elizabeth were related, but they were related somehow. This family man is dead. How do you think it made him feel? Not only that, do you think maybe his thoughts went to his family? To his relative Elizabeth and to his mom Mary and to what they might be thinking about this death of John? And do you think he might have been thinking, I'd like to be with him, but I can't. I've got work to do. I can't even take time to go and mourn with my family. Have you ever lost a loved one? You ever lost a, a, a loved one and you couldn't go be with the family because of life circumstances? I mean, it's happened to me. It's sad. I, I want you to know if you've ever lost a loved one or, or you've ever been in a situation where you can't go aid those that you love when they bereaved. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how you feel. Not only that, not only was John dead, he was cut down in the prime of his life. He was probably about 30 years old. Man, there is nothing that hits home like the death of a young person getting cut down in the prime of life, is there? You ever been 
You ever lost somebody like that? You ever been part of a family that lost a, a person before their time? Jesus knows how you feel. Not only that, but he died at the hands of an evil person. Man, there's nothing that saddens the human spirit like evil men killing innocent people, isn't it? I mean, it happens all around us. We got drive-by shootings. We got these kids going into school murdering people. We've got drunk drivers hitting and killing families. We have all this senseless death of people being cut down in their prime, and, and it throws us into chaos. I can't even imagine what those families are going through. can't. I don't even want to stop and think about it. I don't want to stop and think about losing one of my family members like that, but it happens, and it affects all of us. I remember I was worshiping in Bakersfield, California, a church called Pioneer Drive. I was about 23 years old. There was a young lady there. She was one of the elder's daughters, beautiful lady. Her name was Gail Hendry. She was, in the summer between her junior and senior year, she was working at Sparkles Cleaners. Beautiful Christian young gal. Another girl come in and robbed her at gunpoint. Took all her money and then took a gunpoint blank and shot her in the head. Now she didn't die, but she was in a coma for over 30 days. The whole congregation was in turmoil. Her mother, her father, she had two brothers and a sister. They were brought with anger and resentment and, and just a loss of what to do. Now she lived through it. She had several brain surgeries and she wound up living long enough uh, to live a, a normal life. But they caught the girl that killed her and you know why the girl shot her? She said, because Gail had beautiful hair and it made me mad and jealous. Senseless. I want to tell you, have you ever been through that? Jesus knows exactly how you feel. That's why he came. So that he could be that guy in times of trouble I can go to with confidence. Why? Because Jesus knows how I feel. And right in the middle of this, guess who shows up? The apostles. Jesus, you ain't going to believe it. Guess what happened? We are healing people. And we're raising up demons. And we brought some people with us. <laughs> Come on, let me show you. It's exciting. You know what Jesus' response was? Get in a boat. We got to get out of here. Man, have you ever been in your life when life has just beat you down and you're in the moment of grief and bereavement and trying to figure out what you got to do and everybody around you is happy? And it's almost like you get mad because you're, don't you understand how bad I feel? How dare you smile in my presence? You know, it's like we kind of want the world to stop because I'm having a really, really bad day. Don't you know that someone died? Don't you know that it was senseless? Don't you know that John's head was beheaded? What? Why are you so happy? I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I'm telling you, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. 
So that's the day he learns John's dead, and then he whisks the apostles off because he's just got to get away. He goes across the sea to the other side. This is the same day. And he lands, and guess what's there? A crowd of over 5,000 people. That's the day that he fed over 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. That's, that, that's the same day. He shows up, and that's what he finds. Now, I'm not really sure what Jesus would have liked to have been doing that day. But I'm pretty sure that feeding and healing over 5,000 people would not have been his first choice. Pretty sure. But it said when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember that God's love and mercy and grace for me is based on my weaknesses, not in spite of them. Why did he have compassion on the people? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. My weakness motivates God to help me. And so he tends to these people. And then they get hungry. And it's important to understand this because I don't see a clock. I don't know how I'm doing, but So, he says, feed them. He wasn't kidding. He told the apostles, feed them. They said, well, we ain't got no food. He said, listen, just just give me what you got. Five loaves, two fishes. He blesses it. He says, pass it around. Everybody eats. Immediately after that, he pulls his apostles to the side. And he teaches them something. That's the first time in this day he teaches them. I'm going to have to die. And in three days, they're going to resurrect me. Do you think that maybe John's death had an effect on him? Do you you think maybe that when John died, he might have realized, man, this is for real. It's time to get going. My ministry's in full bore now. John, the precursor's gone. Maybe he even thought, you know, that incredible evil that just killed John, that incredible evil's going to come for me. Anyhow, on this day, whatever he was thinking, he decides to first tell them, I'm going to have to die like John did. Evil's coming. They're going to kill me. And then he sends them away in a boat. And then he tells the people, you have to disperse. And then he goes up in a mountain and prays all night. Have you ever had a day that went really bad that was chaotic and you're just dealing with, dealing with, dealing with and like you don't have anything to give anybody but there's people around you like the thousands that needed to be fed just needy like sheep without a shepherd? You know what that feels like? Moms, have you you ever had one of those days where you're just beat and the bills aren't getting paid and you're wondering how that's going to happen? And your husband ain't been acting right, and that's been a struggle. And you got these little kids just tugging on your pant leg. Mommy, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. Dad, you ever come home from work and you're just beat, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go home, and my lovely wife's going to meet me with a smile, and the kids are going to jump in my lap, and you get home, and your wife is just frayed with 
the day and she's got three problems you need to fix right now and the kids are in trouble and one of them got an F under and you feel like just turning around going right back to work. <laughs> Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And then at the end of the day, have you ever been so exhausted you can't even sleep? I've done that. I mean, you're exhausted. And you know what? The next day is going to be just as bad. And I can't even get sleep. All I could do is pray. I stay awake and I read my Bible and I pray. And all the time I'm thinking, man, the morning's going to come. Lord, please help me. Please give me strength. Jesus knows how that feels. I mean, he knows how that feels. And then he leaves, he looks in, he sees the apostles in a boat. You know the story, the boat where Peter sunk in the water? That's the same day, same day. Jesus looks out and he says, you know, I'm going to walk out there too. In fact, Luke chapter 9 says, Jesus intended to go right by him. He didn't even want him to see him. But they did, they saw him. And you ever had one of those days when you know you love people, but you just know if they spot you, they're just going to need something from you, and you just ain't got nothing to give them, and you kind of walk hoping they don't see you. And Jesus knows how that feels. Anyway, they see him, and he asks Peter to walk, and Peter walks out, and he gets halfway, and then he gets scared, and he starts sinking, and so he takes him in the boat. He said the reason they were scared, this is what Jesus said, the reason they were scared is because they didn't understand about the fishes. They didn't understand about the fishes because they didn't understand. It doesn't say this, but you could put two and two together. They didn't understand about the fishes because they didn't understand the fact they just come back from healing sick people and casting out demons. They didn't understand God's got this. How many times does God have to show you he's got you till, he, till you believe he's got you? If he's got the fish and the loaves and he's got the healing and the demon casting out, he's got this storm. Man, have you ever had people come to you and they're always struggling and you teach them and you teach them and you teach them and you get them headed straight, you know? And then, and then they just do the same thing over again and they come right back to you crying with them. Have you ever had that? I mean, sometimes it, it feels like that when you're raising kids. I, I know ministers and elders know what that feels like. I know their wives know what it feels like. I used to live with an elder, I know. I just want you to understand that Jesus knows how you feel when that happens. It says after he gets in the boat, he immediately, they wind up on the other shore the next morning, 24 hours later. Guess what's waiting for him? Another crowd. Have your life ever been in chaos and it seemed like it was never going to end? It's just non-stop. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He wanted you to know that so that you could boldly come to him in time of need. So you would understand that because you're needy, he wants to give you mercy and grace. That he is not ashamed of you because you're weak. He is glad to see you show up at his throne. Because he's got something he's just itching to give you. Now, that's fine for the chaos that's created by people and things, but what about the chaos that my own sin creates? Oh, 
That's hard, isn't it? I mean, we sin and it creates chaos. It's painful. How in the world could a perfect God possibly, possibly know how that feels? Galatians 3.13 says that he become a curse for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sins. I don't know what Jesus would tell me if I said, Jesus, you can't possibly understand what my sin feels like. But I know what he could tell me. He could say, Merv, don't you dare tell me what your sin don't feel like. Because it wasn't a Sanhedrin court that had me executed. It wasn't Pontius Pilate. It wasn't them Roman soldiers. It was your sin that I wore like it was my own that caused that to happen. It wasn't them evil soldiers that drove spikes through my hands and hung me on a cross and put a and cast lots from my jacket like it, like I don't even matter because I'm hanging there suffering. They didn't do that. Your shame and your guilt that I wore like it was my own did that. And I wore that like I loved you till the wrath of God plummeted me to nothing because I love you. Don't tell me I don't know what your sin feels like. I don't care what your circumstance is. I don't care where you find yourself in life. I want you to understand this about Jesus. That he loves you and he knows exactly how you feel. And the first thing you need to do in chaos is go to him for help. Remember, it's full of temptation. And you're needy. Just admit it. We're all needy in chaos. God's there to fulfill every need. Now listen. I bring this lesson to a close. I'm just going to I'm gonna tell you a story. And then I'm going to offer invitations. I was watching this World War II documentary. And there was this event where one man saved another man's life. I can't remember all the details of them. They were near a dock. There was an explosion on a ship. Some people got blasted out into the water. There was a guy on the dock that couldn't get in the water to help. I can't remember if he couldn't swim or if he was injured. But he wanted to help. So he crawled out to the edge of the dock as far as he could get. And he saw this guy drowning, and he stuck his arm out as far as he could reach. He said, come on, man, come on. He's just egging him on. And the guy gets almost to him, and then he sinks in the water, and the guy's heart just went, oh, man, I lost him. And then this guy's head popped back up with this terror on his eyes, gasping for air. And he reached out, and their hands caught hold, and he drug him onto the dock, and and all he could do was just hold this guy in his lap. Only lasted two or three minutes. And then some medical people come along with this guy away. They had never met. They didn't even know one another's name. They never met afterwards. Fast forward over 60 years later. The documentary guy figured out who these two guys were and he reunited them. 
Guess what happened when they walked in the room and first saw one another? They cried and embraced. That's all they could do. There is something about the struggle of life and death and one man saving another man or one woman saving another, one human saving another human that creates this incredible, intense, very personal relationship just from that act. If you'd have asked those guys to describe what they were feeling, they couldn't have told you. The only way to know what that feels like is to live it. You know, it's real easy for us to understand that God saves me. The all-powerful and the all-knowing and the perfect God. But there was somebody else involved in my salvation. There's this man named Jesus. Exactly like I am. Tempted like me. Suffered like me. And in this battle for life and death, heaven and hell, for the eternal existence of my soul, this man, Jesus, in his humanity, gave everything for me. You see, Jesus is on the dock as far as he can go. He can't go any farther. He's done everything. He's stretching out. He's reaching for you. And all you've got to do to experience this incredible personal relationship with a God that understands how you feel is just reach out and grab him. Words can't describe that relationship. The Bible describes it, but until you've been baptized, you don't really know how that feels. Pretty hard to explain, isn't it? But it's awesome. And the way you do that is obedience to the gospel. Jesus says, you've got to believe who I say I am. John 16, 4 says, I, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. Do you believe that? You've got to be willing to confess that before men. You've got to be willing to repent. That means turn away from yourself. Turn away from Satan. Turn away from the chaos and head to Jesus. And then submit to immersion in water for the forgiveness of your sin. That's all it takes. Because there's a man and a God that died for you. And he right now is reaching out for you. He, reached, he wants you. He, he has compassion because you're a weakness. If you're in need of any way of the, of the gospel call, please come forward as we stand and sing. Have you a heart that's
seated, please. Brother R.J. Reynolds just come forward this morning um, saying that he uh, realizes that his life has been real chaotic of late and uh, he hadn't handled it all that well. And he's done some things and thought some things that he's ashamed of and he, he wants to repent of that before all of us. But even more importantly, he wants all of us to, to pray for him to have strength and guidance to do a little better to trust his chaos to Jesus. I think we probably ought to have a prayer that we all do that because I think we all tend not to do that all so well. We, we appreciate RJ and we appreciate your courage, man. And we're thankful that you have courage to, to come forward. And uh, we're gonna have a quick prayer. Father, we're so very grateful for Jesus Christ, his blood, his sacrifice. We're thankful for his humanity, which helps us realize just how much he sympathizes and feels our pain. I know as you're looking down, Father, that you have great compassion for RJ as he repents. We ask that, that you would strengthen him and guide him and help, help those around him that love him to help uh, be a guide and a strength. Uh, help all of us in our weaknesses, Father. We, we realize that we have them and We'll always be human, which means we'll always be weak in comparison to you. And we'll always need your mercy and we'll always need your grace. And we pray that you pour that down upon all of us uh, right now, but especially RJ. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Um, for Carl comes up just a couple of announcements um, the last few quarters as part of the adult education program we've had teachers uh, getting ready to start the next quarter it starts in just a couple weeks in June um, come up and just give you a real brief synopsis of what they're going to be teaching about next quarter um, we're in an interesting situation today in that two of our teachers are here and two of them are not and then next week it flip-flops so I'm going to have the two that are here today go ahead and come up and tell you a little bit about the class they're going to be teaching next quarter We'll do the other teachers next week. But before I leave the stage, um, I do want to remind everybody about the Train Up Your Child campaign that is ongoing this month. Um, I ran some numbers, give you a little bit of data. Um, there, we got 152 slots. So if you take all the rotation classes for the older kids, kindergarten through fifth, that's four classes times a year, uh, plus you add the four younger classes, so one, two, threes, and fours, uh, they're rotating once a month, um, so that's 152 slots. I was told this morning that we're about halfway there. So if you're a glass half full person, you might say, that's really great. If you're a glass half empty person, you say, well, maybe that's not so good. Um, so that should leave that up to y'all, whatever side of that you fit on. But needless to say, we still have about half the slots that need to be filled. So if you haven't yet signed up, you can go to the website. It's not up there right now. Um, you can go to the website, you can sign up. If you need any help, there are plenty of people around, um, myself, Wes, people back at the booth, that can help you get signed up. Um, let's try to do that if you can. Thanks. Donnie, I think I'm in room 11. I'm in room 11 beginning the first uh, Sunday in June, and we're going to be walking with Jesus on his 
as he tries to lead us on a path of faith uh, from the book of John. Uh, John tells us that he wrote his book so that we may believe, that we may have faith. And so uh, we're going to be studying from uh, the book of John in our, in our study together. Uh, probably no apostle was closer to Jesus during his life uh, than the apostle John. So we're going to, we're going to be studying uh, uh, from John and uh, studying the faith that we should have in Jesus because of, our, uh, because of the things that John tells us. I will also be teaching uh, young professionals, and we'll be looking at the uh, two times that Jesus uh, had on this earth before, one before he went to the cross, and the one when he came back and before he ascended. And then we'll look at Revelation and the things that Jesus spoke of. So we'll be looking at the life of Jesus and those three uh, particular times, uh, as, as I call it, the final days of Jesus in human form and what he said from Revelation. And once again, this will be for the young professionals. Good morning, everyone. We appreciate you being here today. It has been a day of worship. And thank you, Merv, for the lesson this morning, RJ, for the response. If you're visiting, as was mentioned earlier, we are encouraged with your presence. We do have a luncheon today uh, immediately following these services. So if you're visiting, please, please go to the fellowship hall. Members, be aware of those that are visiting that may be around you there. Make sure that we extend a personal invitation to them. Uh, this afternoon, we'll have the Ahipa Devo at 3.30. Uh, also, the Hoover Picnic. Uh, this has been something we've been doing here for several years. Uh, that will be coming up June 3rd. That'll be the first Sunday in June. And we'll have the uh, picnic. The details about that uh, is in the bulletin. Please make sure you sign up. There's a sign-up sheet on the back for additional information that we need to know about that. Also, as school's coming to a close, I think most everyone's either out or will be out by the end of this week. So there's going to be a lock-in on Thursday. That'll be at JCA. So make sure if you're in that group or participating in that, that you check those details out in the bulletin also. If you would at this time, please stand as we have our closing song. We'll sing first one verse of 166. 166, then we'll have our closing prayer. Oh, day long, and Jesus, I can see. He fights on the journey. Father, thank you for this day and all of your blessings. Thank you for giving us this time together to worship you and study a portion of your name, of your word. We thank you for giving your son, Jesus, to die so that, that we may be forgiven of our sins. 
and so that we can turn to him when our lives turn to chaos. Ask that you please be with us as we leave here now and watch over us and bring us back again at the next appointed time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.